Hello and welcome to the podcast of Tech EU. I am your host, Andrew Degeler. In today's episode, we take a look back at this week in European tech and listen to an interview with Carlos Cashman, the co-founder and co-CEO of Trasio, the US-based company that acquires and grows Amazon businesses. We talked with Carlos about the company's increasing activity in Europe, its track record with over 100 acquired businesses, and also discussed why a spatula is a perfect product from Trasio's point of view. But before that, let us take a glimpse at this week's news. Being a technology journalist focusing on Europe, I like to think that I have at least heard of all European technology companies valued at more than 5 billion euros, let's say. Well, turns out I have not. This week, Norwegian robotics and software firm Autostore was valued at 7.7 billion US dollars as SoftBank acquired a 40% stake in it. Founded in 1996, Autostore currently has over 600 installations and 20,000 robots in use across 35 countries worldwide. As far as I understand it, it's mostly working on roboticized warehouses. And with Autostore's cubic design solutions, it is a, quote, redefining space through automated storage and retrieval systems. The company services supply chains in the e-commerce, grocery, industrial, and healthcare industries. And another SoftBank's investment in Norway this week went to Colonial, that is an Oslo-based grocery delivery startup. The company has raised about 220 million euros in a round co-led by SoftBank and Process. The funding is expected to be put towards expansion plans beginning with Finland, there is a plan to open a fulfillment center in Helsinki later this year, and another new target market is Germany. At the same time, the startup Colonial is rebranding and will soon be known as ODA. In the VC news this week, Index Ventures has closed a new $200 million seed fund called Index Origin. Per the report by TechRunch's Danny Crichton, I quote, the fund's name pays homage to the firm's long-standing commitment to seed and first check investing, where it has backed companies as diverse as Robinhood, Figma, Deliveroo, and Wise, that's TransferWise, at the seed stage. The quote ends. On to the M&A news and back to Norway. Oslo-based learning platform Kahoot has acquired Crosstown employee management and learning app provider Motimate. The deal was valued at 25 to 27 million US dollars, which reflects an approximate five times multiple on an ARR target for 2021. Another acquisition deal was closed this week in Germany, where the e-scooter firm Tier acquired Makery, based in Budapest. The financials were not disclosed, and Makery is an app development company that employs 27 people. The companies have already been working together before, so the acquisition can be seen as a way to sort of formalize the partnership and make it exclusive. One of the previous projects of Makery is the mobile app of moped-sharing startup Koo that's now owned by Tier. According to the announcement, from now on, Makery's team will be responsible for building Tier's consumer-facing products, whatever those may be. And to wrap up the news overview, I've got an interesting piece of ecosystem data to share with you. This week, I looked into our database to find all European companies that became unicorns in the first quarter of 2021. And turns out there were 27 of them across 10 countries on the continent. Most unicorns came from Israel, then Germany and the UK. Uh, the leading industries are fintech and SaaS and security. And if you want to see the actual list and know more about these companies, I will leave a a link to my post in the show notes. But the number is great, 27 unicorns within the first three months of the year 2021. 
Now, it is time for the featured interview of today's episode with Carlos Cashman, the co-founder and co-CEO of Thrasio and the lover of spatulas. So if we can just start uh, from the uh, basic stuff. So who are you and what is it that you're doing? <laughs> well, all right. I'm Carlos Cashman. I'm co-founder and co-CEO of Thrasio. Um, there you go. That's the way to say the name. Everyone gets it wrong. And it's, that's our fault with the name. Actually, I, I think I was told recently it's Thrasio, not Thrasio. So from our branding agency. <laughs> so I guess I have to learn a new way to say it. That's how everyone else thinks it is. I, you know, I hate to call us an acquirer of only an acquirer of Amazon brands, but that's the simple exp explanation. And it's what I think most people know us for. And it's what we've started as, right? But, you know, we, like many others, are sort of laying claim to this direction of being a consumer products company designed in this century for this century, digital first, digitally native, and you know what all what all that entails and comes with that. That's what we are. Interesting. But how do you mean like a consumer technology company? So how does it connect with what you actually are doing uh, with the uh, Amazon businesses? A consumer products company, right? So a consumer so, product company. So we, we, look, we started on the Amazon ecosystem. You know, so let me back up a step. The, this idea actually originally began because I had a Facebook marketing agency and we, mm. did, we, we were very good at customer acquisition, had a lot of e-commerce clients. And so e-commerce companies knew us and we generally only worked, you know, you had to be spending hundred grand a month or up, that kind of thing. But I was getting tons of leads. I mean, every day, you know, another 1 million, 2 million, $3 million Shopify website or whatever, doing pretty well, right? That's, that's good money every year saying, hey, you know, we want to test out Facebook marketing. And they didn't have the money to do it. We certainly couldn't take them on as a client, but they weren't even willing to put enough towards it to do it right. And I knew that and saw that and said, hey, you know, there's an opportunity. There's all, you know, this was, you, know, you look back, you know, six or seven years, right? When the D2C explosion in the US really started happening. There are all these people that had learned that China had commoditized manufacturing. You know, shipping had been vastly simplified by so many companies across that value chain. So they could build, you know, their own product and, and get it to people if they knew a little bit about marketing, right? So, you know, we were looking at this and I said, wow, a lot of these businesses could be successful. They just need the know-how and the ability and they need some capital to make it happen. So my partner, Josh, and I were talking about things to do and I got in the process of selling that agency. So I was looking for my next thing to do. So at some point, Josh said, we could probably roll up these companies, raise money, and then we could put the marketing dollars towards growing them. And, you know, I'd say, you know, half of them, you might grow from 2 million a year to 20, right? Or maybe to 10. But even if you don't, they're profitable at two. So we thought about doing that in e-commerce. Right. And but it's a much heavier lift, more difficult. And one of the things we thought we would do was, you know, take those products on Amazon and sell them there. And so we started learning about Amazon, digging into that. And that's luckily, I think we just kind of decided to flip our whole model on its head, basically, and say, hey, why don't we just try to do this on Amazon instead of doing it on the open web? So we started looking at that. But our idea was always like to take advantage of this new world of globalized connection globalized production, manufacturing, shipping to, you know, produce and sell great consumer products to people wherever they want to get them, right? So, you know, we did find a, a very fertile ground in Amazon to start that with, and it's great, and it's still the vast majority of what we do in the heart of the business. And I think we've kind of kicked off a, an interesting industry here of people looking to turn, you know, in small solopreneurs and micropreneurs on all these platforms, Amazon, Flipkart, Mercado Libre, whatever, into, you know, into professionalized businesses. But that's that's the beginning of it. So once you start to put all these together, what you do with that will, you know, separate the 
the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, in the future. That's what we'll see. So our, our goal has always been to to really be something more than you know just just that, just a, a bunch of Amazon products put together. Does that make sense? Right, of course. And uh, just out of curiosity, so how long did it take to sort of figure out how to make it on Amazon, how to how to make a product like, more successful on Amazon? It's a lot harder than most people think, man. <laughs> you know well, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, you know, I mean, I think it probably took us, I mean, look, we're always getting better at this. We've been at this, you know, a couple of years, going on three years now, just just coming up on three years. You know, we came at it with a lot of very experienced people in e-commerce and supply chain and those kind of things. We put together a very a senior, very experienced team very quickly. That helped us. But to build that Amazon-specific knowledge, you know, it was you know at least a year, year and a half before we were really getting good at that. Um, and you know now I'd say we're 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 world class. We're second to none. I mean, there's other great operators out there, but we are as good or better than anybody in the ecosystem. I think. Right. And so at some point last year, uh, what uh, what I saw, like what uh, what sort of uh, alerted me to this uh, whole thing, was that similar companies started to appear in Europe. So we had a whole series of uh, companies uh, coming out of stealth and raising money and starting to pretty aggressively uh, claim the market uh, in Europe in different uh, uh, parts of the continent. And at the same time, uh, Tresio, uh, it also like you also seem to begin paying more attention to the continent, or at least uh, you started uh, talking about it uh, more uh, aggressively in your uh, communication. So was that indeed the case? Uh, what was happening at that point? We, we just started talking about it, man. <laughs> we- <laughs> Second and third businesses we acquired at the very beginning were you were in Europe. <laughs> they were European okay. based. <laughs> yeah, so we've been there since the start. You know, look, I don't blame people. They they want to look for an angle to be able to raise funding to say they're different when the you know investors say, well, how are you different from Thrasio? And they say, well, we're going to be Thrasio of Europe. They're not here. Well, I, I kind of we started talking about it. So it was kind of like tapping on people's shoulders, saying, hey, turn around. We're here. We've been here since the start. We're doing nine figures of revenue in Europe, you know. <laughs> like so, so we just really started talking about it more, and we also did make a more of a concerted effort. You know, it's it, it was easy enough to start early on, and, uh, and look, the pandemic changed a lot of what we could do and couldn't. You know, couldn't in terms of you know moving people around and stuff, which was interesting. But you know, we were acquiring businesses in the UK. It's you know fairly straightforward. The language, the culture. It's easy enough to talk a seller through the process, have them understand what you're doing, what you're about. But in other cultures and languages, it gets more difficult. So Germany is Amazon's second biggest market, right? So we have had some German businesses selling in Germany, but we did think it made a lot of sense to put a team on the ground there who can speak to those people in their language, in their culture. Mm-hmm. You know, because this is a, I mean, you know, it's a complicated sale for most of these sellers are, are micropreneurs. You know, they're not advanced Wall Street wheeler dealers, you know, who know all the terms of preferred shares and and uh, debt and equity and all these different things. So it's a big kind of scary deal when they're selling something that represents so much of their net worth. I didn't know they could. So you have to really be able to walk them through that, speak to them in a, in a, in a way that they really feel comfortable with and understand. So we did start, you know, increasing our presence in, mm-hmm. in terms of the sales frontage on in in Europe, and we've also done that in in Japan now. We're moving into Asia and other regions, and I think it's important in some areas. But you know, the the operations, I mean, can be done from anywhere. I mean, we have people. I used to keep track of the countries. You know, now that now that nobody's really been in offices, we we have like I don't know eleven offices in nine countries or something. Now people are all over wherever, right? So um, you know, early on it was funny. We also we met. Um, I think one of the first sellers we were looking at was uh, was a couple 
And I think the the woman was Swedish. The guy was Hungarian. They were living in Singapore selling product on Amazon in America. I mean, <laughs> you know, so, you know, saying you're, you know, this or that of, of Europe, of here or wherever, like all of us can sell wherever if you have the infrastructure, the knowledge, the capability to, you know, to do it. It's a, it's not as easy as a lot of people think to go cross-border because of all the compliance and VAT and tax issues and all this stuff. But once you once you get that set up, you can do it. But then how come that, like, uh, as, as you were saying, second or third businesses that you acquired were in Europe? Like, why didn't you think about, let's say, focusing on your home market just to try things out and so on? Uh, how, where was this uh, sort of approach uh, coming from? You know, I mean, it's, it's it's Amazon. I mean, they were selling on Amazon. We found, you know, we were more opportunistic about the initial deals, right? So we were getting them from brokers. So mm-hmm. it was more about what was available on the broker market, right? And and what was of quality. I mean, you know, you look at 50 businesses for every one you acquire, right? And it's not to say the other ones aren't of quality. They just weren't, didn't fit our thesis, right? Or what we were looking for. So so, so I, it, it was really just, I think, as I said, more of opportunity, but it was easy enough to do. Like once you had a business that was already selling in market in Europe, you take it over. You just need to keep running those operations, right? Now, it's it's proven a lot harder than we thought to take the products from Europe and start selling them in the U.S. and vice mm-hmm. versa, which everyone, everyone I think thinks is going to be really easy, and it's just not. What's uh, complicated about it? It's an operational heavy lift, really. I mean, it's just dealing with – honestly, it's, it's it sounds silly, but taxes – Bank accounts. I mean, this is where you really start to appreciate like what DeFi is gonna, you know, do for this world. I'm a big DeFi crypto fan of all this stuff, but like, it's just amazing to to take cash into an account. For me, coming from the states to get a bank account in England, they wanted a freaking sample of my genetics, man. I mean, it was crazy. This know your customer rules are very difficult, and even once you get that set up, you need local representation. You need local attorneys, right? When you got to deal with all sorts of stuff. So there's just a lot of behind the scenes stuff that you got to do if you're going to do that in other marketplaces. So you know, generally people start in one where they have experience or whatever. We happen to get that set up very quickly cross border between Europe and here. And, you know, I think it was more of a factor of happenstance. It wasn't us saying we should be there or not. It's just Amazon sells there. They, you know, it's a big market. It sells here. Why not? Are you still working with those brokers or is it uh, more direct uh, and now is it just uh, businesses coming to you mostly? How does most, it it's most of the latter. Most businesses coming to us directly. But we, I love a lot of the brokers out there. It's great. We have great relationships with them. We still see businesses from them, work with them. Sometimes it works two ways. We'll, we'll find a business that's not right for us, but we'll send them to you know, a great broker we know. They, they provide a really great service in the sense, again, going back to that example, you know, these sellers are not sophisticated you know, wheeler dealers, and they don't understand all the financial terminology. Many of them don't even have real financials built. So someone will come to us and say, we're making a million bucks. And we go do their books for them because they've never done them. And we go, you're actually making 600,000, right? (laughs) Or you're making 1.2 million. Like they literally don't know. And it's, but it's tough. You understand it with working capital issues, buying inventory, seasonality, all this kind of stuff. It can be a little crazy. So the brokers help people get all that stuff in order, can hold their hand through the process, talk to them about the different purchases. They have experience with us. They know us. They know what we're like. They know that we complete our deals you know, and 98% plus of deals we go into an LOI, we complete. We've had all sorts of things happen in the late stages of a deal or any stage. We still go through with them generally. Um, 
you know, mo- almost all the time. You look at the numbers. So, you know, I think they, they, they're, they're great for that. So, like I said, we have good relationships. I, I, I think they provide a great service in the ecosystem. But in general, a lot of these businesses don't want to pay for that. And if they don't, they come directly to us. And that's fine, too. Right. So you were supposedly uh, the first... Uh, the first company to take uh, uh, this sort of business model on the industrial level, but then, but then there were already brokers, right? So, like, they were selling to some buyers. Who were the buyers before well, that? Well, so me, I, I have to be honest. We weren't the first. One hundred one Commerce, as far as I know, was the first. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd started and got up and run. We thought we were. We thought this was pretty neat, and then we found those guys out there on podcasts and started to talk and stuff. But as a testament to what it takes to do this, those are very smart guys. They were a great team. It's hard to do. They didn't make it, right? It's, it's a combination of, you know, I mean, they sold out at the end, but I mean, you know, they, they, they were not able to make it a successful thing. And it's a combination of the funding, the businesses you choose, the operational uh, capability and expertise and all that stuff. So they were out there first. But wh- who are these, these brokers selling? So the brokers are not only brokers of Amazon businesses. It's one thing to consider, right? I've actually bought other businesses from them. I've bought URLs from these brokers. I've sold through them. Uh, I've bought a small other small businesses. It's great. You can buy. You can find anything. You can buy a, a nail salon or a hair care business through some of these brokers, and lots of online businesses that are great cash flow kind of stuff. You know, they were big in the affiliate marketing space for a while. They, they still are. A lot of these brokers, like Empire Flippers and folks like that, sell a ton of quality affiliate sites and things like that. So they were they were doing a lot of that. The FBA businesses that were transacting. We're really selling more at the time to like, you know, you think of like another executive, like who maybe someone who was semi-retired, like they retired early from business, but they weren't, weren't really done and they want to do something new. And, you know, they could you, in the U.S., at least you can get an SBA loan from the Small Business Administration. They like these Amazon businesses because they can see the data from Amazon. It's trustworthy. They can say, hey, this business has been making a million bucks a year for the last two years. And they would loan you 80% of the money. So an executive could buy the business with 200K down or something and get a business that's cash flowing 200K a year. So that was a lot of the buyers. Um, there were some family offices and some small private equity, you know, let's talk 50 million and under PE fund kind of things who were buying a few, you know, a couple of these here and there, maybe for cash flow, maybe with the idea of growing them. Um, here and there. And probably, I, I don't know, but there were probably some Amazon buyers in there, like someone who built a $20 million Amazon business in you know, oven mitts and decided they wanted to expand into spatulas. And so they, they went and bought one business, right? But up to us, no one had, one-on-one commerce had tried, but no one had successfully put the whole thing together and really productized it and really gone after it hard. Right, right. I understand. So, how big are you at the moment in terms of businesses acquired? Like, well, what are your metrics in general? How do you measure yourselves? Um, well, uh, we we just announced recently a, a press release on our hundredth business acquired. Um, but you know, we're we're probably doing several a week now. So every other day, probably closing one. So the, as soon as that press release was out, it was it was out of date. So we're we're well into the uh, you know low hundreds right now. You know, 100, 150, somewhere mm-hmm. in that ballpark. I actually can't tell you on any given day. You know, out of that, what I like to think about is we've made over 100 millionaires. It's, it's awesome because some of these were, you know, partners who built the business together, whatever. I mean, you know, I, I measure and, and, you know, the business has scaled, you know, I mean, fantastically. We're over half a billion in revenue and profitable on that, right? Over 100 million in profit. So and that was last year, right? So, um You know, those, I mean, traditional metrics, How that's how we measure ourselves, right? But, you know, again, there's there's many other things we, you know, we look at more, you know, our, how we've done by the sellers, how we've done by the community. You know, we try to be a great actor in this community. We try to release a lot of content and help people and and talk about what we do and, and um, 
And, and uh, we also, um, we also try to think about how we, you know, for us, it's how we're treating our people, how our employees are, how they act in this ecosystem. And we've got a lot of people now and, and, and we want to do the best thing by them. So it's a number of different ways we measure ourselves with the basics I gave you there. And how many employees do you have at the moment? <laughs> you know, every time I answer this, I'm wrong. I just uh, <laughs> I just did an onboarding with uh, 50 people the other day. So and that's that happens every couple of weeks. And that's just the United States. So as I said, we're we are we're over 600 in the U.S. We're probably 400 internationally now. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, probably around a th- we may not be quite at a thousand yet. I think I would probably have heard that. So maybe we're 300 some internationally, um, but we'll be, probably be there pretty soon. There's a fun video of our of Danny, our president, delivering coffee to our 500th hire in the U.S. <laughs> it's on LinkedIn if you can find it. I think nice. That's that's pretty impressive, though. So, and of those uh, hundred something businesses, what do you think is the share of businesses based in Europe, selling in Europe, or based in Europe? Well, Fifteen to twenty percent. Mm-hmm. It's always been that. I mean, I guess after we did the second and third deals, we were you know two thirds European, but but that was a very short time. So so since basically our first you know year, it's been fifteen to twenty percent has been European businesses, and it stayed about there. But I think it's we want to increase that, right? I mean, I think you know. Given I don't know what you know how large the German market is and the overall European market is, and Amazon's making a lot of progress there, right? They're they're doing very well, so I think it'll increase. Even if Amazon itself, how close are you to the company? I mean, how close can anyone be to a multi-trillion-dollar behemoth like Amazon? I mean, I you know we know a lot of executives there. They're they're terrific people. I I I'm, I uh, idolize the company like many people. I think they what they've done is magical. And, and and no short way really about uh, the, what they've done with their culture and how they built this company, this machine that continues to innovate. That's what's incredible. Um, so yeah, we know a lot of folks there. They know who we are. We, they've called us in. We've done marketing together. Um, but you know they don't they don't play favorites. They don't put their you know thumbs on the scale for anybody. Uh, you know, and that was something I learned very early on. We got you know connected to someone who was in charge of the third party marketplace, very high up in Amazon, very early on. You know, we were a tiny business, but we had big ideas. We thought we were going places and, and we've done all right with that. But we, I, I asked him, you know, well, when do we get a special rep, you know, when we get to 50 million in business? Cause we weren't there yet. Do we get a special Amazon gold card or something? He said, no. And I said, well, how about when we get to a hundred million, that's when you must have some secret program. And so the team laughed like the people on the call. I said, no. I said, come on, just a billion dollars. You must have reps for the billion dollar sellers. And they're like, no, we don't. Like, just use our systems. Thank you. We'll talk to you. If you have feedback, it's great. Send it to us, you know, but they're not going to build a relationship. I mean, they are successful because they have 3 million people trying to, you know, with their accounts, there's probably, you know, less than one to 2 million active, but like, you know, trying to launch products and sell it on their marketplace. That's why they're so successful. These people are all on their own dime being product managers, discovering what people might want and putting it into there and, and subsidizing it to launch. I mean, that's why when people talk about Amazon competing, all this, it is such a red herring. It's unbelievable. Right. And, uh, and a last detour before we get to uh, the set of European-related uh, uh, questions. Uh, how? So you are not really involved that much into the actual buying because you were saying that it's uh, it's, it's going like at the rate of a couple of deals per week. So like, do you do you approve all of them? Do you see all of them? Do you see most of them? Do you see any of them? So. I, if we, we have a, you know, we've got a Slack channel that just throws up every time we got someone coming on LOI so I can see it, click on it, look at the product. I haven't been involved in a deal since 
I mean, the first deal we did, <laughs> honestly, like my partner, Josh, is unbelievable, right? And he's the finance half of this brain, really. So he's always run the deal group and was very involved. But even, you know, he has handed that off to our, we've got a terrific deal group, front end run by Ken Kubek. You probably, I think you might know him. You might have been on your podcast. He gets on not, a lot. Not of yet, not yet. He should be. He's great. Um, and Michael Del Moro runs the team behind the scenes on the acquisition side, the actual M&A side. And they're, they're fantastic and they deal with it. And those teams are growing you know, rapidly. I mean, we've got a lot of people and, and, and increasingly around the world, too, internationally. So, no, I mean, I, I see it's fun to see the products like I always use it as an example. People ask, what's the example product for you guys? And I've always said a spatula because it just kind of encapsulates everything. Stable demand. You know, if you if you ask for a spatula in 1850, it meant the same thing it does today. Like so, you know, the search term just moved. So that's kind of the kind of thing we like. And we do some more unique stuff with this. We like but we didn't own any spatula companies until like December. And when, I, when we got it, our team sent a special message out. They made a video of, you know, of me with the spatulas and all this stuff. <laughs> so it's funny. So I do see them now and then. I have very little impact on that. though. <laughs> So ha has there been any sort of like development in uh, your idea of what sort of businesses, what kind of products you're interested in? Yeah, oh yeah, of course. I mean, for me, this was just like block and tackle experience building businesses. And, you know, this is why, again, this is harder for most people to do than, than they think. You know, just building a business, getting, getting something to a size of 50 people that are working successfully together, that's really hard. So, you know, you've got 200 companies out there getting funded trying to do what we're doing. Most of them ain't going to make it, I got to tell you, just because the simple block and tackling of building a business, not because this space is not great or anything. So early on, it was, you know, like for us, and I'll, you know, like, there's no secret I can talk about. It. it was about focus. It's just hard to do that and hard to understand what that really means. So, you know, what we looked at early on and what we would take as a business is different than what we took a year into it and what we'll take now. Right. So because we have more capability to manage. Right. I mean, we're running, you know, a couple dozen Shopify websites now. Right. Or, you know, so we could early on, we didn't have the, I knew how to do that. We just have the bandwidth to do both of those things. Right. So the question is when you can do that and you can do it in a controlled fashion and you can do more and also supply chain. Right. You needed early on. We needed simplicity in the supply chain. Spatula would be freaking great. Right. Desk cycle, our product that's, uh, you know, it's a pedaling product that goes under your desk for rehabilitation and stuff. Way more complicated. It's got a long supply chain. It's got small motors and different pieces that come from multiple factories. So that would have been very hard early on. Right. So it was understanding how to do those different things and, and how to source and, and when we're ready to do that. So now, you know, there's hardly a product we won't take now. Have you got the now, the desk cycles? We have Death Cycle. It's a great product. It's very cool. You should have one under your desk right now. You could be exercising while we're talking. In fact, I should too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like a great thing. I, I've never, I've never seen them. I don't think they're on uh, Amazon in the Netherlands. So your latest announcement in Europe was that uh, you increased your commitment to uh, to 500 million euros from 200 announced before. So what what does it actually mean? So it's great numbers and all, but like, what does it mean in practice? Um, I mean, in practice, it just means, you know, we're, we're, I mean, look, we have one pool of capital essentially, right? And it's, and we have fairly basically limitless capital with the people we work with and behind us. So we can, you know, put, put capital work wherever that it's needed. What that just means, I think, is just, it's, it's, the progress there has been terrific, right? We got a great team led by Sammy and Kirsten who, who started that for us. And, um, And they've been they've been really finding great success. So the German market is big. We knew it was big. We just didn't know how quickly we'd be able to ramp up what we're doing there, and it's ramping up faster. So we've we've been closing you know more deals than we thought, and uh, some bigger deals, which is great. 
And we're very excited about the quality of the sellers and the products coming out of there. So, and I'm very excited to like, you know, spend more time in Europe. So <laughs> as soon as we can, as soon as we can travel again, I want to go over there and, and hang out more. So maybe that's part of it. <laughs> and then once again, in terms of business, in terms of product categories, how different is Europe from the US? And what's different if you can uh, draw any sort of uh, like similarities and differences? You know, I mean, that would be a better question for our head of ops than some people on our team. It's it, it's generally really similar, right? I mean, you know, the way Amazon works, right? I mean, it's just understanding, you know, in different cultures or different products that are going to be popular for different reasons, perhaps. But I'd say there's there's, there's really uh, fewer differences than there are similarities. It's, it's, I'd say it's probably 90 plus percent similar, if not more. I mean, you're still working on Amazon. And understanding the Amazon ecosystem, you know, what, what you have to figure out is VAT tax, which is a whole freaking, you know, rat's nest of mess, especially since Brexit. I mean, that that didn't simplify things. Right. Okay. And shipping. Right. Those two things. So when, when you know, we could ship everything out of a warehouse in, in Britain at the start in England. But but. After Brexit, you can't. So, you know, and, you're, and you've got three PLs you need to do, you know, your, your buffering into Amazon and stuff. So those things, figuring out all that stuff is in the banking, as I mentioned, is that's freaking complex. Like most people don't think about that when you start, you know, you can use Amazon for all that, right? But they charge you a 5% VIG on currency conversion. I mean, that's crazy. So yeah. you've got to figure out other solutions. And there's, you know, world first, I guess, and these other ones out there, but they all, the American banking system blocked them for a while and unblocks. I mean, so there, there's a there's a complexity in the global banking. Again, this is why I'm a big DeFi fan. Crazy that this stuff is so hard to do, to move a buck from one place to the other. I mean, we're willing to pay tax on it. We just want to track it and be able to do it. So, so getting all that stuff done, that's what's different. Um, that's what makes it hard. But, you know, other than that, it's the, the process of how we sell on there. It's just language. Right. And so how tight is the competition at the moment uh, in Europe, for example, among uh, these uh, these businesses that acquire uh, Amazon, uh, Amazon no, companies? No, it's not. I mean, there's some great – I know some of those founders. There's some great teams and great people, and I, I wish them all the success in the world. It's a big marketplace. There's, you know, and if they can find success and find their way to be good at this, then there'll be room for all of us. Um, we have not seen a lot of pressure yet as a result of more people in the market. All that we have seen is a massive overflowing of our pipeline because these guys reach out to everybody and they go, you know, reach out to us. They say, okay, great, thanks. We're also going to talk to these guys, right? So, so we're just seeing a lot more people get to know who we are as a result of that. Um, you know, I think, look, Amazon, I think, is minting, is creating million-dollar sellers faster than us and 30 other people can buy them, right? So, and, you know, assuming they, they want to sell and what have you. So it's going to be interesting to see how this marketplace develops over time. I, again, I don't think everyone's going to make it past the crucible of building a successful operation, high margin operation. We've looked at a number of, you know, obviously we scaled up now and what we can look at, we can buy a hundred, you know, hundred million plus businesses. So we're looking at some very large Amazon sellers, but, you know, most of the ones we've seen have margins in single digits. And, you know, they're, that's great. For, they think it's great, great for them, whatever. But, like, that's not us. <laughs> you know, we're two two times that plus three times. You know, we want to be there. So so it's just it's hard to do. And I, companies, a lot of these consolidators who are trying to copy and follow us are going to find that that's really tough. And their, their, their access to capital is going to dry up. And as a result of not having doing better, if more people know about how the, the better ones are performing and their ability to bid on, on deals and businesses is going to get harder. If that if there does start to be more competition, you know, and it makes it makes it tougher, that gets harder. And we're also, I think, far enough ahead. We can look at a business, you know, and understand a lot about it 
just by you know downloading the data and running it through our ML models and things like that, and also running it through our our, um, our team that has been doing this for a long time. And so they can look at it, you know, we can say here's ten opportunities we know, and each one of these has a potential to add forty percent to the business or you know whatever. And we know we're going to get half of them right, so we know we're going to improve the business. So now our ability to bid on the business changes, right? Right. So when these merchants reach out to you and supposedly the other uh, buyers, what is it that you are offering them? What's your unique selling point? What uh, What is it that, that, that you tell them? We rock. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, look, it'd be great to talk with Ken about his exact spiel. The biggest thing, I think, is a couple of things. There's assurance. Like, we have been here for a while. We, stuck, we created this space. We are extremely well capitalized. You know, and we are going to complete. We complete something like 98% of the LOIs we put out there. And the ones we don't complete are not because of us. It's because of an externality that the seller decided to pull. I mean, it's only been a couple, right? If you think of 100 businesses, there's been 98, you know, of the LOIs we put out. So, so or more. So that's the big thing. And then earnouts. Obviously, you know, almost everybody structures these with an earnout. You want to make sure I, that does... That does things for both us and the seller. If a seller is willing to to put some, you know, wants to put something on the line for an earnout and and, and take some more on our, based on our, per, our performance, that means they believe in their product. They believe in their what they built and that brand, and that's very important because this all starts with a great product and having done the right things in the right way to build it. Like everybody does some gray hat stuff out there, but there's some people who do some very black hat stuff, and that stuff isn't going to last. So if you know you're handing something off and it's a piece of you know what, and you're like, oh no, I don't want to nerd out because as soon as, as soon as I stop doing this black hat stuff, it's gonna crater, then you know that's the, that's not a business we want, and someone else should. And we've seen people buy those. You can get in a lot of trouble with that, right? So I, th I think the best thing for us is we've paid over like 94% of our earnouts. So it's pretty much a guaranteed thing. If you've got a great product, put it in our hands, and you know, you're gonna you're gonna make more off of this deal, a lot more. And we've shown that and we can connect them to sellers and who've done this with us and had good experiences and say, hey, you know, here's here's what I got out of it. We can connect with sellers who had bad experiences. I, I can't say we've done everything perfect. We've certainly screwed up with some because we're just moving so fast, but we turn around and make it make it right anytime we can. And we've done that over and over. And, you know, and I and, and we just we I, you know, all the time are improving and get better at this process. And we now have a group, a team directly responsible for seller happiness. Hmm. And that's what they're 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 going to make sure they stay in touch with them throughout this process and afterwards, and they're getting what they need from us and they're happy. And now we've had a number of repeat sellers come to us. They sell us a product, go launch something else, come back and sell it to us again. Maybe they sell us one of their products. They've got five more. They want to keep operating for a while. They come back, sell us those later. That's happening a lot. It's great. And that's the most important thing I think we can do is maintain our good reputation in the ecosystem. We want to be a great actor here. We want to help these people. I think, you know, most of the people getting into this should have that same attitude. And certainly I know a lot of the European folks who've launched are, are great folks also and want to do the same thing too. And I, I like to see that because, you know, you're making a lot of people's dreams come true, right? I mean, we've created over a hundred millionaires. It's awesome. I mean, some of the letters I get from these people, like what this has enabled them to do, it's like, it chokes you up, man. It's awesome. Right. And in Europe, uh, do you, as a rule, uh, bring this European product uh, to U.S. Amazon? I wouldn't say as a rule, right? I mean, you know, if they're, if they're going to work here and they're going and they're, and they're to be competitive here, then we do. We will, right? It, it really depends on the product, on a product-by-product basis and, I, or, and, and what priority over time. I mean, we certainly will do it with larger products, like larger selling products, right? I mean, we've got 8,000 products, right? And 
I mean, you know, probably three times as many listings, right? Because of the different marketplaces and language and all that. But not everyone, you know, if, if there's a product doing 50K a year in, in Germany, we're not going to bother bringing that over here probably, right? Unless there's something unique about it and it could crush it. So, so again, it really depends on what the product is and, and, and how we think it'll perform in, in the various markets. And we do that both ways, right? Whether we're taking products from the US to Europe or to Asia, whatever, back and forth. Because I would expect that the US, Amazon is much more competitive. It is. It's probably, you know, everything moves so fast nowadays. It's hard to say how long this will stay. But I think the last time I asked my team about it, they thought it was probably a year ahead of Europe in terms of competitiveness and density and all that kind of stuff. So, but, you know, it's happening everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so to wrap it up, uh, something that you already mentioned, actually, so, but I still wanted to ask, so you've been mostly active in the UK and Germany, uh, you mentioned before, but now are you expanding further? And uh, what markets do you think make sense for you to expand in Europe and which are still too young maybe for you to even look at? Well, we, we sell all throughout Europe. I mean, you know, I remember watching when lockdowns first started to happen and Italy went first. It was actually fascinating because we saw home home gym equipment stuff sales take off, you know. And even when Italy blocked the Amazon for a little while, or they you know they they had the the union yeah. buck up or whatever, they buy them from Spain, right? Or they'd buy them from Germany because they could. They could buy them from any from Amazon UK, whatever. They could get them from wherever. So that that actually like showed us the the flexibility and cross border nature of Europeans shopping already. Right. And so we were in every market, you know, in Spain, France, wherever they're buying from all around, too. But it also gave us some interesting intel because we saw that happening. And I was like, shit, man, order more of that stuff in the U.S. because we're going to go on lockdown after them. You know it. And then people are going to start buying this stuff. So we were able to get ahead of it by learning that, which was really interesting. So, I mean, we will, you know, we're going to be across Europe. I mean, you know, and, and try to do as, as good a job ever. France is a pretty big market. Um, so, I, you know, we, whether we have a dedicated effort there, I think we do have our, our English team is expanding with French speakers to, to work into that market as well. Um, and we can do a lot of that here, too. Um, we're in Japan. You probably just saw we announced our, our Japanese subsidiary. That's a whole different market, right? And it's multiple marketplaces. I mean, I mean, talk about Germany being different language and culture. Japan, different language, different culture in a very big way. <laughs> um, so it's much more complex. Even getting the company set up has been very challenging. Um But we'll be there as well. You know, anywhere that Amazon is going, we're going to follow in one in one level because it's we know how to do that. We're very good at that. We're also looking at other marketplaces. And, you know, I know across Europe there are actually more marketplaces than there are here, um, and we know a lot of sellers have a lot of success, even though they're smaller distributing product. Once you've got the infrastructure, the three PL relationships, all that kind of stuff, you can distribute markets on multiple marketplaces fairly easily with certain you know software out there that helps you do that whatever right or if a large enough team um so i think those are good and, you know i think india is pretty interesting it's very small but it's going to be growing very rapidly and obviously the the you know the 800 the 8000 pound gorilla in e-commerce is china and amazon is not there so you know we would love you know to have a strategy there at some point it's it's i mean you want to talk about moving to the pros <laughs> that's a whole other level and league but you know i think there will be some many of our products will, will do well there and it's just a different route to get in there so we're looking at all hey, look, this is a global business we're all connected we're all buying stuff from all over the place so you know we want to be a player wherever people you know want to be buying stuff and provide them great great products 
Right. Okay, great. This is a great uh, point to wrap it up at. We're at 35 minutes, which is a bit more than I usually uh, do my interviews for. So thanks a lot once again, uh, Carlos, for joining today. And thanks a lot for everything that uh, you've been uh, that you've been sharing. It's, uh, it's, it's really interesting. It's fascinating. It's a, it's a world I have no idea about. And I'm very happy to hear how many things are happening in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. It's fun. And this is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, follow us today wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if that place has a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that as well. Our audio engineering is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are very welcome. Always send them to podcast at tech.eu or ping us on Twitter. This was TechEU Podcast. I am Andrew Degler, and I will talk to you again next week. For now, take care and enjoy the weekend. Bye-bye.